It is forbidden for you to interfere in human history. One thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. It is forbidden for all those things I can do, all those powers, that I couldn't even save him. Welcome to the 25th episode of Zero Hour Strikes, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event, Zero Hour Crisis in Time, every issue, every tie-in, every zero issue. I'm Siskoid. I am Bass. And in this episode, we look at the four Superman titles, which essentially tell a single story in four parts, a story called Peer Pressure. Superman, I mean, one of your favorites, one of my favorites... We're never disappointed that we get to cover the Man of Steel. No, actually, yeah. And and, and this is a long-haired Man of Steel. This is long-haired Superman. So uh, Zero Hour didn't fix the haircut. No, no, it did not. So we've talked about Superman extensively in both First Strike and in Zero Hour Strikes. Bas, did you think they would tweak Superman's origin at all? Not just the hair, but I mean the origin or, or more than they actually have? Uh, what were your expectations, I guess, is what I'm asking. I was wondering what was going to happen. I, I really didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, were they going to change why he was sent to Earth? Were they going to – I'm not really sure, but I think uh, they they used the fluffy contouring Krypton attire in this one. I don't know if it was there before. I don't know. I was... Yes, it, it's the. it's been that since Man of Steel in 1986. Oh, okay. So it's been a while. So it hasn't changed, in other words. But I, I didn't know what I was expecting. I, I always expect the spacecraft to change, the spacecraft that brings Kal-El to Earth. I'm always expecting that to be different and it isn't so they really haven't changed anything from the crisis well except what they've changed (laughs) (laughs) but the look all the look and everything it seems to be very continuous yeah all right well let's look at each of these uh issues it starts with superman the man of steel number zero it's by louise simonson john bogdanov and dennis janky it's called a whole new world is it Here's the synopsis. 33 years ago, Smallville residents, the Bravermans, have their baby in a pickup truck during a blizzard just as a Kryptonian capsule crashes into a field. The Kents rescue the child inside, call him Clark, and decide this will be his birthday too. Uh, In the present, Superman is flying around rebuilt Metropolis, trawling for gangbangers, and then meets up with Lois for the first time since Zero Hour ended. Over the course of the issue, Clark keeps getting old pictures of his childhood with his face torn out of it. Following each envelope, there is an attempt on his life and one on Ron Troop for wearing a similar hat at one point. He survives thanks to his superpowers, obviously. Each photo also comes with more details about Kenny Braverman, the kid who shares his birthday and who has evidently always felt that Clark stole his thunder. I think there's little doubt that the new supervillain conduit uh, who is staging these <laughs> murder attempts is Kenny. <laughs> is there, After one issue, where, did you have any doubt on this? None at all. <laughs> None at all. Actually, from the get-go, just by seeing the... Uh, the other family, mm. uh, while uh, the 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 uh, Clark's uh, spacecraft crashes, I was like, "Oh, okay, somebody new in the mix." And lo and behold, a new villain enters the fray. Right. I can't remember if it's because of the Superman movie, but I can't remember if I ever saw a Superman's crash landing or Super Baby's crash landing during the winter time. Uh, yes, it's been established after Crisis that it was during winter. This is how Martha Kent explained that the, she suddenly had a baby because nobody had seen her pregnant because this huge blizzard kind of trapped everyone. It's like storm of the century. Okay. Uh, trapped everyone in their homes for the months where she would be showing. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. You're right that usually when you see the when you think of the craft falling, it's in a field. It's I mean Kansas. You're not thinking of snow. No, no, not really. But yeah. what they're really introducing is like a reversal villain. You know the the person who shares the origin story somewhat, who yeah. becomes a natural rival. And Clark never had that because we never really explored like the Superboy era that much because he was never Superboy in in the post-crisis. So all his childhood in Smallville, we know he was friends with Lana and with Pete, but 
I don't think they'd ever establish any kind of uh, a bully for him or a rival for him or anything like that until this moment. They kind of redid this in in a certain way in the Smallville uh, series. They had Lex Luthor lose all his hair because of that crash. So they they kind of redid that for the for the Smallville, where you know the villain has a conjoint origin story with the hero. Yes. Also, there's the thing, we'll talk about that later, but the uh, source of Conduit's powers. Yes, 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 of course. I have sort of a, a link here, and the Smallville, the first season of Smallville, was just people finding kryptonite and getting powers, like getting yeah. infected by kryptonite, which is sort of what is happening or will happen to Conduit. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so this, and also, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end, like whatever happened to Kenny Braverman, uh, he did appear in alternate media. After this was established, he does show up in other places. Not necessarily as Conduit, but as... As Kenny. Oh, okay. After we get this little bit where Martha and uh, Jonathan find the baby, and the other baby is born in the other truck, we're in Metropolis. It's been rebuilt. It's a bit more Art Deco. It's got futuristic bridges between buildings. And uh, here's the thing that, you know, we've talked about this before, and we'll have to cover the issue when we do sort of like the epilogues. But uh, in Adventures of Superman number 522, that's where the, the heroes rebuild Metropolis. Because in the proper storyline, Metropolis had been destroyed. The, the Daily Planet Globe had rolled down. Lex Luthor blew up the city. So that yeah. has nothing to do with, uh, with uh, Zero Hour. It just happens around the same time. And after Zero Hour... It's not like this. it never happened. It did happen, but they rebuilt the city. And he sort of mentions it here, uh, working with heroes, we got it rebuilt. So that's like an untold tale that they only tell like six months later or so. And we'll cover that because it it is a zero-hour story. And it does seem dissonant here. I don't think Lois Lane is in that issue, but it seems strange that they rebuilt the city and now Superman is only just meeting up with Lois. It's like at, at no point... Did you give her a call or, or something after Zero Hour? <laughs> I feel that's a little bit dissonant. But that's, I think, because they don't know they're going to do that story necessarily. Cell phones weren't that common in 94. Okay. Although they did exist, and if somebody should have one, it's Superman. So he could have called. He needs the, the old uh, Silver Age power of uh, super ventriloquism, which <laughs> he could just, just projected his voice to Lois. Well, he does have super hearing, so I guess he was... I guess Superman was was the first cell phone. <laughs> that's one way to see it. I would say Airwave was, but uh, that's more yeah. of a, a deep cut. Yeah. So would you like this Metropolis? I like this Metropolis. It feels a little bit more... I, I Actually, I really love this uh, this Metropolis. I, I love Metropolis with a, a futuristic feel to it, almost uh, too futuristic. It's uh, really reminiscent of the uh, of the Adventures of Superman series mm -hmm. also the animated series and i really enjoy that because it it brings a bigger contrast also to other cities like uh like gotham for example or and the city it kind of is a mirror of the the hero so i love that the man of tomorrow is mm. also living in the city of tomorrow yes i like that too and here like the buildings you know whatever page it is page five the buildings are still like classic like, Art Deco is the past, and then you've also got this futuristic little touch, and the buildings yeah. just seem bigger uh, and taller. In the 2000s, after Infinite Crisis, maybe whatever happened to Metropolis, it just becomes even more futuristic to the point where they've got science police. Like, they're going, like, it's almost Legion of Superheroes already. Yeah, yeah, they're going all out. Yeah, a little too far. But uh, here, I think it's just, just right. With Louise Simonson, she's doing... Oh, she's also writing Steel or was writing Steel. So all the stuff with, I'm going to call them Toastmasters or whatever whatever <laughs> those super guns are is also a storyline from Steel that Steel had to be dealing with. Like these super weapons that gangbangers are sort of somehow getting. We get a lot of those in this issue. But that's I think that's a Louis Simonson subplot that we're following. There's some action with uh, the gangs and uh, a classic bit where Superman stops a train. I was like that bit. Yeah, the super people, they, they save trains and they save airplanes like nobody's business. I'm not sure they care about cars. You know, No, no, no. Cars, no, they don't care. Cars get wrecked. Except that one issue, yeah. Well, no, he's crashing the car. <laughs> Action Comics oh, yeah, number one, he's right. crashing that car. So cars, no, but public transit, yes. Hero of the yeah. people. 
<laughs> yeah, before his time. Here, I think this is kind of new. I don't know, but they're using the uh, Daily Planet Globe as a little mini HQ. Yeah. Where they can change and smooch. That's <laughs> yeah, interesting. That's, it is interesting. Other things that are interesting is Clark Kent's clothing. Oh, yeah. What the hell's yeah. going on? Well, you know. <laughs> he's trying very hard to be cool. Yeah, the the leather jacket. Of course, he's now wearing the ponytail to cover yeah. you know, the longer hair. And he's he's got worse clothes in other issues. Like, this is not the worst look. Oh, no, no, no. This isn't the worst look, but it's very bad. Uh, there's going to be more. The, the murder attempts start happening, of course. We do meet at his building. We meet Mrs. Weisinger. So, obviously, she's named after Mort Weisinger, who was a longtime uh, Silver Age uh, editor of the Superman books. She seems uh-huh. nicer than he was. I think she's a new character. So I, I think this sort of a, a veiled, like they seem to know her and say, oh, thanks. And they all know her and she's got a reputation and everything, but she's never appeared before. So I think this is like sliding in that there are some like minute changes in the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool to explore these things that are happening, like her all of a sudden being there, but. Also, you know, within the story that's being told, we get a little glimpse of how Clark was when he was younger. I'm really enjoying that flashbacky type stuff, you know, with the the play and the everything that's going on. And it's like a nice way of going back to Smallville without going back to Smallville. Each of these issues are going to advance Clark Kent's story. Like we're going to see flashbacks that are ever later so we're telling his childhood and being a young man and like pre-superman days so it's doing the thing that zero hour or the zero issues say they do which is retell the origin but we're yeah. it's, it's not like batman where we knew everything or almost everything you know it's oh, okay these are little moments where they intersect with kenny braverman this character that we've never heard of that is somehow part of his childhood now. And yeah, the play, they're doing uh, Snow White. They're, real, they're they're small. I mean, they're primary yeah. school. They're in elementary school. And I like the sort of throwback to the Silver Age in the sense that Lana is <laughs> manipulating events so that she's playing Snow White. And she wants Prince Charming to be played by Clark, not by Kenny. Yeah. So she's really, she's sort of arranging it. And Clark doesn't want to be Prince Charming, <laughs> but he's stuck. You know, so she steals a kiss from him, basically, uh, which is very much a Silver Age relationship where she was the Lois Lane. She was always trying to trick Clark into uh, revealing that he's Superboy, that kind of stuff. So it it feels like that kind of uh, element, and it's happening in you know when they're very small. So I like that too, and I really like the uh, the expression on Lois's face. Yeah, <laughs> in the first panel of page thirteen, where they're just looking at that picture, uh, and uh, there, there's a hole in the the thing. She's hearing about this. Oh uh, yeah, Lana was, uh, you know, and, and there's a bit of jealousy, and there's like an arched eyebrow, but it's also, uh, you know, she yeah, thinks yeah. he's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> she doesn't look impressed. No, I like her expressions in this. Uh, throughout. So they almost fall to their deaths in an elevator, which is the second murder attempt. The first one was uh, like a brick falling from on high from the building. Uh-huh. Then they're in the kitchen, another small moment. And like, this is great for, I think Louis Simonson particularly was great at doing the Superman Lois or the Clark Lois relationship. Oh, yeah. Doing the domestic stuff and seeing them just banter and be people. You know, he's he's chopping onions until, like, there's no tomorrow. He, at he, super speed. At super speed. He's preoccupied because they're ma- they're making spaghetti carbonara. So it's like, how many, you know, just how many onions do you think we need? Uh, and he's <laughs> just, like, not paying attention. I mean, the problem is, don't take out so many onions. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just going <laughs> to chop them all. But there's, And there's four left. And it looks like he's chopped. You know, it's like he's chopped a whole bag. Yeah, yeah. He has like a, like at least 10 onions done already. <laughs> it's insane. Get out the Ziplocs, put that in the freezer. Don't waste those onions. But it is a funny moment. It's a domestic moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's charming. It's it's nice to see them in their apartment doing their thing. And, and, you know, all of a sudden Clark has to go. And, of course, he goes out the window, which is I mean, I just love these little moments. And it's to save some kids from an orphanage that's on fire. So we're seeing how Conduit, whoever he may be, is really, <laughs> really ruthless because this is just supposed to be a trap for, not for Superman, for Clark Kent. Oh, Clark Kent's going to be called to a fire to cover it. Yeah. And he attacks Ron Troop, who's sort of dressed in the same 
has the same look from afar. I like that he's attacking an orphanage because there there's a thing about Superman is an orphan. He doesn't know that, but Superman's an orphan. So Superman's saving orphans from a fire, another classic bit. It feels yeah. like they're doing like like all those classic covers or moments when you think of Superman you think of him, you know, stopping yeah. the train and then saving people from a fire. I like all of that. But uh, the funny moment for me is that Lois also races there. She's going to try to cover the fire. Must not be too far from their, their apartment. The fire chief just sends her packing. You know, it looks like every report <laughs> in the city is here, Miss Lane. You can stand over there with all the others. <laughs> it's like, yep. oh, so <laughs> I, I like that. Like she's Like, she's the top reporter. You know, she's running into a crowd of firemen who are trying to do their jobs. Yeah, and it feels like it's not the first time that she's, you know, running <laughs> he into it. He knows her. <laughs> uh, yeah, he knows. And uh, in the final pages, well, another flashback, another photo with a hole in it. And it is about a fire. So yeah. for Conduit, he's maybe, not always, but he's sort of matching some of these traps to... The actual moments, and it's the moment that, that Clark is remembering, is a, a thing with a campfire. Kenny's dad was a scoutmaster, and he obviously preferred Clark. You know, this I think this is really the crux of why Conduit does what he does. It's because his father always thought of him as a failure, and a failure. Yeah. I mean, he was he was second place to the first place boy. It's not <laughs> exactly he he wasn't last, and and you know, no, he wasn't being ridiculed. He was just second. But the father puts him down for being second and can't you be more like Clark? Kent is always doing just one step ahead of you, always doing better than you. You should be able to beat Clark. And I, I understand this because I had a similar relationship with my own paternal figure. Oh no! Well yeah, so I, here's a story from my childhood. Here's my Kenny Braverman story. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, just to give you an example, I nipped that in the bud really early for me because when I was in sixth grade, okay, yeah. my my dad and his mother, which would be my grandmother in the story. <laughs> <laughs> that lady will be playing my grandmother. The part of my grandmother will be played by uh, Cruella and the older one. Uh, no, really, it, I, I they, they had put like money on my grades. Oh, my. So if I came first in class, then I would get the money. And apparently I was set up against... This girl in class who they knew, like the grand, my grandparents knew her grandparents. So it was okay. a bet between them. I mean, there's no greater bullshit than competing for grades because you have no control over that. You can yeah. do the best you can. And I was a top grade getter, obviously. So I was second. You know, I was Kenny Braverman. And then this girl who was a teacher's pet at the time. Proof is in the pudding that, you know, yeah. as soon as, as we went to seventh grade... It went way above her grades, but it's just like, well, she got interested in other things and whatever it is. I don't care. I mean, I'm not in, I'm not competing with this girl who I barely know. It, it doesn't make sense. I'm competing against myself. Of course. Like in the story, I'm what, 11? And I already know this. So I remember sending a letter because my dad lived another province away. It wasn't still, okay. it wasn't yet in the States. And I sent a letter, an 11-year-old letter saying, I will not compete against another student. I can only compete against myself. I can only do better than what I did before. Oh my, so wise. Well, I've, I've been brought up on comics, Bass. Yeah, that's that's true. That's comics true. and Star Trek and whatever. This is what... That's <laughs> what happens. This was how, where I got my values. So <laughs> it is. And then I got like a secret summoning to my grandmother's house for dinner or whatever. So I go and there's a secret letter. My dad did not answer back to my mom's address because then my mom would know he wrote me. Okay. I had to read the letter and throw it in the fireplace. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah, like I wouldn't tell my mom afterwards what was the contents of the letter. You know, it's like, well, yeah, we don't talk. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know what, what was going through their heads. This is such a beautiful story. The letter back basically was that without competition, there's no life. A real boomer kind of thing to say, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I threw it in the fireplace. I guess I, I lost my chance at the $20 or whatever it was. <laughs> and then demons rose out of it. Who cares? So, <laughs> so like Clark in this story is first place at everything, but he doesn't, he would never bullied Kenny. No, yeah. It just so happened that he was better at everything. And he didn't even have his powers at first. You know, it was just yeah. like good Kryptonian genetics. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was just trying to do his best. And I think he offered friendship to Kenny, but he couldn't know that the, like the father-son dynamic of the Bravermans. 
Like, you don't know. You can't figure that out when you're a kid also. I mean, when you're adults, you can go, yeah, yeah, that dad is kind of an ass. When you're a kid, you don't really realize that dads and, and parents in general can be asses. Of course. You think back, well, how old was, how, how old were my parents when this happened? Yeah. And, and I've gone past that age already. You know, so it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember being a moron at 35, you know, it's, sure. <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, so, of course. So I, I don't hold a grudge for any of this. It, it just like it was very much a generation conflict, a generation gap, you know, it's yeah, something yeah, yeah. that didn't make sense to my years. I never fell into this competing with others kind of thing. I have a natural competitive spirit. And I oh, want to yeah. do the best I can. And, uh, you know, it's not about beating the others. It's about doing – if I put 100% in something, then I'm going to beat all the chaff who, who don't. It's not about them. It's about myself. You know, it's about pride. Exactly. But Kenny never learns this. Kenny blames Clark. And yeah. it really isn't – it's really misplaced. And by the end of the, this four-parter, um, I guess we can ask the question, like, is Conduit's motivation – sensible at all and i don't think it is he's psychotic by the end oh yeah yeah well, big time psychotic and obsessive it's obsessive how can this guy function <laughs> i mean i mean they're in their 30s yeah they're supposed to be 33 and we know this because we've just seen the zero hour timeline and 33 exactly. years ago is when he crash landed so we we have an exact age for superman and for kenny uh, obviously it's a very weird motivation it's obsessive. It's deranged. It's going to be a great story. <laughs> hey, we, we, we didn't talk about the cover. Did you like this cover? It was okay. It was okay. I, mean, I like it. It's, you know, it's Superman. It's the it's Krypton blowing up. You get a feeling that, okay, it's going to be an origin story. And we don't spend too much time on that. You know, we're not retelling things that everybody knows. We're doing that, yeah. but very quickly. Yeah, I like I like the, the whole splash of green. And then Superman yeah. in his normal blue, uh, yellow, and red. So I think it's an okay cover. It, it is serious, long-haired Superman, though. He's very serious. I mean, for a, a zero issue with the Man of Steel, I was maybe expecting, I don't know, a little bit more happiness or something. I mean, he did win the fight. But it's a, it's a very serious Superman with <laughs> wonderful locks. But the splash of green is great and a bit of a foreshadowing there, you know, because it seems to really radiate this green kryptonite stuff. It's well balanced and it's it's a great zero issue uh, cover. If we're talking about really cool looking, but also serious, the better one, <laughs> the more serious one as well, is our next one, Superman number zero. Uh, oh, yeah. By, you know, the cover by Dan Jurgens, where Superman, you, you see the shield, you see the cape and the eyes course yeah the, they're not red they're like yellow orange the whole rest of the body and face are just in darkness he's backlit by lightning wreckage in front of him so this is like this is a real money shot looks oh, really yeah. cool but also it's a very serious superman you know they're, they're trying to sell superman as not as dark as batman but at least a contender in intensity yeah i think they're trying to sell the tough guy tough guy superman the hair is kind of shorter on this one, a, a bit messier, but a bit shorter. And I kind of enjoy that. I mean, sometimes long haired Superman is just he has just too much hair. But uh, it's a phase. It's a DC phase. Nightwing had that long thing. They've also got that effect, like an overlay of uh, steam or smoke. Yeah, yeah. This is a it's a very cool cover. It's the best of the lot. And yeah, and, and the way Superman's cape kind of is oversized, you know, it's very Batman-y, but in a different, more Superman way. It's it's a very nice. Let's talk about the interior by Dan Jurgens and Brett Breeding. It's called Awards. Uh, as Clark Kent continues to remember how Kenny Braverman was always a resentful second place back in high school, in sports, uh, class politics, and love, Conduit plants a bomb at an awards gala where Clark is meant to get an award. When he survives by switching to a Superman persona, Conduit sends armored goons after him, but they are quickly defeated. Conduit melts their heads before they can reveal his identity, but we, the readers, find out as he takes his helmet off, uh, showing his armor has wires burrowing deep into his flesh. He has always hated Clark Kent, and he's gonna kill him. A simpler <laughs> plot <laughs> this yeah. time. Here I'm gonna have to say... That it's called peer pressure, and that's been twice that it's been squeezed at the top of page one. 
it looks like they decided really late in the game to call the whole thing peer pressure. Every time it's kind of overlaid on top and doesn't seem to be integrated yeah. in the same way that the normal title is. So I'm going to call shenanigans on that. I want to quickly go to page five because we just get like foreshadowing where Conduit is planting a bomb, killing a cop or maybe just a, a security guard. Security guard. Yeah. And then we see uh, they've rebuilt the city, but I think everything in- interiors are a shamble. So uh, Clark and Lois are just fixing up and cleaning their apartment is what's happening here. Interesting thing is that she finds a box of his old stuff from Smallville and it's full of trophies and <laughs> ribbons. Yeah. He really was a hog of, of like winning first place at stuff. But there's also a Captain Action figure. Yeah. So that's interesting because... I don't know if they're saying here that it was an inspiration, because he does have, like, the little triangular chest emblem. I mean, Captain Action, the thing was that you could get different costumes, and basically it was a tie-in to lots of other properties. Like, you could get costumes for him. You could turn him into Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Captain America, Aquaman, The Phantom, The Lone Ranger, Tonto, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, Sergeant Fury, uh, Steve Canyon, and The Green Hornet. Those are, like, I think that's... Maybe a complete list. Wow. But it includes Superman. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, when Clark was a kid, you couldn't get Superman, Batman, or Arcoman costumes. That doesn't make sense. So, what costumes were available in the DC Universe? Just the boring ones? Or, uh, you know, <laughs> what was it? We can kind of see on the uh, Captain Action box there. We have like the Green Hornet is over there. and Can you tell uh, that? Well, maybe the first one, you know, top right. Oh, uh, the hat. Yeah. The hat, yeah. But look, there's like a sort of Batman. Yeah. Cape and little ears or something. We'll check it with Chris Franklin or something. But may- <laughs> maybe like that box. This is exactly that box. But there's just, it's so sketched in that you can't tell there's a Superman in there or whatever. Yeah. But normally there is. Like the third, third one down could be Superman. Could be Superman. Or even the fourth one down. I mean, it's just a fun thing to see in the Superman comic. I mean, it's it's great. It's a little Easter egg. Like now we're looking at when they're older. They're junior high, probably, or like young teenagers. And they were muscular. My God. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, Kenny looks like he could be that age. Yeah. Clark, Dan Jurgens does not do a good teenage Clark. He's like short and stumpy, but he's muscled like an action figure, but he has that adult face. Yeah, he's he's, he's very not, much. Not good. <laughs> he's Clark. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have changed in between At in all. the in the years. No. But he's short. He's so short. I would have thought that even in, you know, at that age, he would have been already kind of close to his normal height cuz I was. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're, we're tall. tall. We were tall pretty early. I oh, yeah. I I don't think, like, Clark Kent suddenly gets a growth spurt at 19 or something. <laughs> Probably not. It happens to people, but, I mean, I don't believe it. <laughs> it just looks wrong. Um, maybe, uh, I mean, after all, Dan Jurgens was also drawing uh, Zero Hour during this period. So, you know, we know that he had a lot on his plate or on his board. I think this fell between the cracks as far as quality control. Then we get to the gala. I'll tell you what I like there. It's that... Clark actually wins an award for explaining Zero Hour to the world. Yeah, I feel like we deserve a Baldi as well. (laughs) And this is one of the parts I did enjoy because a lot of the tie-ins and a lot of the Zero issues really don't go into the Zero Hour thing. And it's kind of even put aside in certain books. But here... Yeah, I mean, these awards are given really quickly. Because this is all happening in the same week. (laughs) Kind of... There's not much distance between the first issue and this one. Anyway, so he has to have explained Zero Hour and immediately win an award for it. Yeah. Okay. Of course, there's an explosion as planned by Conduit. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help but see the scene that I hate so much in Batman versus Superman. Yeah, the uh, the lemonade scene. He says a podium, everything blows up around him, and somehow he still manages to save Cad Grant. He doesn't yeah. just stand there like a sad sack. Well, oh, well, there was an explosion. This is how yeah. Superman should act. Although it's not as big an explosion because it only takes out the stage. But even if just like a stage hand we don't see in the background, that guy's been saved. There's no question. Oh, yeah. I mean, Superman has super speed. He heard the click. Just the time between the click and the boom. I mean, that's enough for Superman to get some people out of there. You know, basically, after that, there's the attack by the goons, and we see just how ruthless Conduit is. 
that he would melt their brains inside their suits rather oh, than yeah. be exposed. It's gruesome, basically. And Superman can't save them, can't bring them to a hospital quick enough. We know that Conduit is a concern. Then we see him, he's like in an underground lair. He's got henchmen. He's himself remembering that he, the notion is that he's going to kill himself yeah. for not getting his father's love, uh, but instead turns it against Clark. It's like, it's either me or him, basically. I don't know if he re realizes that if he kills Clark before he kills himself, he's putting him in first place. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. In a dark way. but here, And then the money shot is he removes the helmet. We see that it's Kenny. No surprise. But the surprise is that that armor is really... His armor is basically him. He is the conduit. The crazy eyes and the everything. I mean, conduit is... I mean, highly deranged and that little last shot there of him it really shows it you know he's, yeah. he's a monster now yeah and now he's completely lost it in the intervening years but we've still got two issues to go to tell his full story and we will but we'll do that after this promotional break Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, he's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. It all comes back to Superman, to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues like cosplay or podcasting or academia. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailytube podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytube.com. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you yet. We're back, and we're continuing our discussion of the Superman titles number zeros. Number zero, um, plurals escape me. <laughs> so moving right along to Adventures of Superman number zero. Like This could have been a cover where he there was more uh, happiness, because it looks like he's flying through fireworks. But of course, I guess he's just avoiding blasts of energy. Yeah, I guess they're explosions, not fireworks. I see it as fireworks still, but Superman is serious. And we know what happens in the issue. And there's even one of the blasts that's sort of greenish. A clue to what's going to be happening. So, uh, Adventures of Superman number zero by Carl Kiesel, Barry Kitson, and Ray McCarthy. It's called With Powers Beyond Those of Mortal Men. As Lois and Clark continue to fix up their apartment, Conduit has a laser rifle trained on them. Clark tells Lois about his post-college trip to Paris and how he was mentored by a sexy journalist... Meanwhile, Kenny remembers how he was recruited by the CIA and crossed paths with Clark in Paris while radicalizing a terrorist group. Clark gave up a journalism opportunity to save a bus from being blown up, foiling Braverman's plans, though the CIA agent thinks it was just a screw-up on the part of the terrorist cell. Conduit finally fires into the apartment but misses, and Clark, as Superman, confronts him, shocked to see Kenny's face under the helmet thanks to his X-ray vision. Conduit blasts him with kryptonite energy, and Superman falls into the river. So there. Whew. There's not a lot going on in this part of the story. I mean, it's basically Conduit taking aim and shooting and then getting punched and then hitting Superman. It's almost all flashbacks here. And this mm -hmm. one little nice little nugget of everyday life where Superman just paints everything super fast and makes a mess. Yeah, that's funny. Here is the worst possible look for him. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite horrible. Well, I mean, you'd never put on a good shirt to paint. No. No, you'll you'll take that that t-shirt you won in some sort of contest or just because it was like uh I don't know, Frosh Week or something. Yeah. Uh, and his shirt is a lime green with purple letters, Bibbo's pal, Asa Club's uh wear. So, it's from Bibbo's bar basically and it's fun that he's like advertising himself as bibbo's pal because bibbo thinks of himself as superman's pal which of course yeah. he stole from the silver age jimmy olsen this is a bit of a train wreck in terms of fashion anyway lois is in some sort of tracksuit. oh yeah everything's horrible <laughs> 
Sorry, Barry Kitson. Not great. The, uh, the the current day fashions. But I mean, they're supposed to be wearing clothes that they don't mind uh, staining, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to be painting, so I guess it's fine. Yeah. It's not so bad in the flashback. Yeah, exactly. And let's not forget, this is 1994. Baggy pants were the staple. Well, I think that's what makes stories age badly very often, is that they, they try for the fashion of the day. But when we look back at these comics and we're going, whew, you know, just like when we look at old pictures of ourselves and go, whew, it's the same. Exactly. So sometimes it's better to have like that blue suit. You know, it's like a classic. Nobody really wears that necessarily, but it, it is the comic book look. And we can take that as sort of an eternal fashion. Yeah. Not so here. The, uh, the, the the whole flashback. Okay. First of all, the sexy journalist is called Simone de Neige. You know, Simone of Snow. Yeah. Which is not a real Simone, yes. Simone. Oui. But de Neige is not a real French name. I'm sorry. No, no. Nobody's he... called the apostrophe Neige. Well, maybe de Neige. De Neige, but, but not De Neige. No, not De Neige. That's, that's not a thing. No, it doesn't work. So if you're going to have an apostrophe in your name like that in French, it's because you're going to have a name that starts with a, <laughs> with a vowel. I, I mean, they, they do pretty good French in this thing. I agree. And even use some salty language a little bit. I know. I will talk, we'll get to that. But yeah, yeah her, like her French expressions are actually on point. Yeah. Clark doesn't speak so well. And which, which is normal because he says, uh, and this is the bit you're, you're referencing. He says, une salope vraie. He says that Denage was kind of a, his lover. I mean, they're, they're making out. Yeah. There's something there. Yeah. Yeah. And he calls her une salope vraie. The French way to say it is actually une vraie salope. The yeah. epithets would come first in this case. Now, in all cases, but it is a language of exceptions. Yeah. So. It should be une vraie salope, not une salope vraie. And he, he shows that he's an American who doesn't speak French <laughs> as his first language. That's fine. <laughs> but what does une vraie salope mean? It means a real slut. Yeah, it's a, a dirty, dirty girl. A real slut is what he calls her. So <laughs> Superman calling a girl a slut, I they hit it in the French because <laughs> I don't think that flies. No, and uh, I mean, uh, let's just imagine Clark goes to France. He's all this goody two shoes, meets uh, a couple idiots like ourselves, maybe, and uh, they teach him the wrong things to say. Mm -hmm. So that's how I thought. That's that's how I saw it. So it made me smile, actually. That's actually a common experience when when I was a kid uh, going into Texas in the summers, uh, and then being forced into various week-long camps, like basketball camp or Bible camp or whatever it was, where I could compete with other kids, apparently. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, I was terrible at basketball. It was awful. I remember the, that those basketball kids, they all wanted to know how to say curse words in French. Oh, yeah. And, and curse. I mean, we were so young. They wanted to know what pig was, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they could call each other bad names. So this may have happened to, to, to Clark. Oh, I it suppose. certainly happened. I lived for these moments when somebody didn't understand French and I could teach him something that was really not supposed to be said. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's <laughs> if it doesn't happen, you're in the wrong place. Uh, you're with the wrong friends. I mean, so so yeah, it's a it's a funny thing, and uh, it's how it should be, and that's why I I think that's what happened to Clark. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, in this thing, and in uh, the other one was uh, also the second issue. Clark always gets the girl. Also, no, it's going to happen again as well. There's a Ruby coming up who will star as a not really his girlfriend, but there. I mean, there's obviously something there. He, he's. Very much the the sort of um, ladies' man or a naive ladies' man. I think he's very attractive and, you know, muscular. I mean, he's Superman. He probably smells good. Uh, yeah, he always gets the girl and gets under this Kenny's skin. That's that's for sure. It's actually going to be an inciting element in the last issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, in this case, they do cross paths. And it feels that this felt very modern to me because there are so many TV shows now about the, the sort of CIA operative who's putting himself in awkward moral positions. You know, it's very John le Carré kind of 
thing yeah. where he's infiltrating a terrorist cell and actually committing or helping them commit a terror act on yeah. behalf of the American government. That, that kind of stuff appears in television today on, on a regular basis. Yep. Uh, there is an interest in terrorism, and but here it's like 94. So it happens because it's Europe and Europe was dealing with these kinds of things yeah. before, really before America was in terms of, of high profile cases of it. So that's an interesting thing, but it shows how Conduit is really losing it. He's already lost his moral compass because he's not just committing the, the terror act. He's going above and beyond what he's been asked to do. He's basically radicalized. Because he's ready to blow up that tourist bus. Yeah. And his bosses are like, no, no, we didn't want you to, to go that far. You know, you didn't have to go through with the terrorist act. Uh, it's like, well, no, it, these things have to be done. Uh, and um, and we'll see how he, you know, even eventually just takes over his CIA cell, basically his CIA bosses and the CIA base, you know, yeah. gets rid of the bosses because they're not ready to go far enough. So I, I don't know what this whole life is. It's been years, right? He's been yeah. doing things and amassing power. I mean, there, there's a lot there before he even goes to kill Clark Kent. He's building himself a life and he's off book, you know, basically doing black ops for whatever he thinks is correct. And I don't know what that is. Like you said earlier, I mean, he's going too far. He's off the deep end and he's now calling the shots where he decides what's wrong and what's right and to what extent things should be going. And it's a very dangerous path. And so we're wondering how much he's done in the past, how much of international politics were his fault, Yeah, for example, in the DC universe. And of course, at the very end, he's... He's shooting a kryptonite blast. So we're supposed to start thinking, oh, wait, what happened when when the, the rocket ship came down? Because here, I think really for the first time, they're, they're starting to say that he was frequently ill. I don't think they really mentioned that before. So And they say it was caused by a radiation, but he always recovers from it. Yeah. And he maybe he has the metagene. And here's using a kryptonite blast. So we're thinking, okay, it's like Smallville season one. Yeah, basically. Basically, this, this is what's going on. And I mean, it ends with Superman drowning, so we know he's a concern. Like, they really put everything into him. He's connected to Superman some way. He can use Kryptonite Blast, so he's obviously going to be a physical threat. He's got a something against Clark Kent, which is an interesting twist. He doesn't want to take revenge on Superman. He wants to take revenge on Clark Kent. Superman's just in the way. And he's also got a secret base with operatives and so he's a little bit like Lex Luthor in that way where yeah, yeah. he's got a lot of resources so they're really throwing everything at this character they're creating a superman level supervillain and uh and i mean to do that you have to give him all types of powers and not just superpowers i mean he needs to have money he needs to have influence he has he has to have durability he has to be smart one does not just beat Superman. Well, the, I think the uh, resources thing, giving a, a, a villain a lot of resources, is that there are things that Superman can't really overcome. Money, influence, power, those kinds of things, you can't just beat into the ground. No, you can't punch that. No, there's going to be problems. So it, it forces him to make moral choices, which is what Superman is really all about, yeah. and also use his head. We're, we're already up to the last issue. Action Comics, number zero. It's by David Michelini, Jackson Geis, and Dennis Rudier. It's called The Yesterday Man. Uh, the cover here is sort of a... This is the first one that has Conduit on it. Yep. Uh, and it's sort of in a greenish tone, so I think it sort of harks back to... You know, it bookends in a way that the Man of Steel also had like that, like outer space and sort of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a mirror image in the composition... You know, Superman was on the left in the first issue. Now he's more to the right. Kryptonite was exploding to his right on the first issue. Now we have Conduit to his left, creating this kind of uh, opposite uh, symmetry there, like a mirror image from that first one. Very similar to the first one. Let's get into the synopsis. Ooh. Essentially, Superman survives <laughs> thinking about Lois and that she may be in danger because if he's a, if, you know, if Conduit is attacking Clark, then obviously Lois is, is you know, in danger. So Superman wakes up underwater uh, wanting to save Lois, but she's fine. The apartment is a mess, though. We catch up with Conduit going back to his base. We see that he indeed got rid of his uh, superior and kind of took over. And then there's like the flashback that shows us the Ruby characters. Like Superman, not Superman, Clark Kent was 
uh, hanging out with Ruby, a gorgeous redhead. So just what you were mentioning earlier. Uh, but she, they were just friends. And so she hit it off with Kenny when Kenny came to Metropolis during this era, which is still pre-glasses. It's pre-Superman. And she fell for Kenny. But it's all going to go bad when she finds out that Kenny is a cyborg. He beats her up. And so he's uh, he's just a bad dude. Yeah, he's a, he's a monster. And so in the present, there will be another clash between Superman and Conduit. And this one will lead to Superman winning, Conduit being taken into custody. And in the wreckage... Uh, and this is a plot point for future Superman stories. In that fight, Superman keeps bringing Conduit to other places where he thinks there won't be any people. That doesn't want any uh, collateral damage. And eventually they end up at his tomb, or his former tomb, which is like a statue of Superman in Central Park, basically. Uh-huh. They crash into the tomb. So at the end, when every- everything's over in the epilogue, the workmen who are going to fix it find the body of Superman in the tomb. So who who is Superman? Which Superman is real? And that's just going to be like more storylines going forward. You know, it is, it's going to be like the next month or so of Superman comics. I did react like the guy who found Superman's body. I was like, what, what? is that? First of all, it's official. Lois Lane has a different haircut in <laughs> each of these comics. <laughs> No artist draws her hairstyle the yeah. same way. So pick your favorites, people. And, and, you know, Ruby just told me, it's like, uh, well, how many girlfriends has he had before Lois Lane? And why don't their names start with L? <laughs> but this one went off with Kenny, so. Yeah, it was a bad choice. Bad choice. One bit I really like. It's when Conduit confronts Clark himself, basically. And uh, Clark throws himself on his knees, that bit. Yeah. Sort of to save everyone. He basically jackhammers the street with his knees and falls through. And it's like, let's take this battle elsewhere, you know, essentially. Like, if he blasts me, I'm going to, you know, he's ready to blow his mm-hmm. cover at that moment. But then he realizes, oh, there's been damage to the street. And he just, like, goes to his knees and it, everything breaks up. So I like that bit. I think that's, a, like, a smart use of the superpowers and to hide his identity. It's very Superman-ish to do something like that. Really ruined the... uh Daily Planet rededication ceremony. Uh, you know, we just fixed the city and now there's a hole in the street in front of the building. Well, I mean, you can always blame Conduit. It is his fault, ultimately. Basically, they're just flying around. I mean, it's showing again. It's showing up, in this case, Man of Steel. You know, like the Snyderverse versions of these stories. Because in that story, it, it just felt like people called it destruction porn. Yeah. They blew up so many buildings and there's no thought given to any of the people that might live there and were they evacuated or how is that even possible? That kind of stuff. Here, like Superman is actively moving from place to place trying to find a a deserted battleground. So like he goes to Suicide Slum where it's all like that's a a part of the city they didn't rebuild. It's all dude for destruction. It's just like ruins. But once he gets there, he finds there are squatters. So, oh, crap. Like, these homeless people are living there. I got to move the fight elsewhere, you know, lest they get hurt. So he flies to the Centennial Park, which is the the central park of yeah. Metropolis. And here there's only, like, one person. Like, <laughs> the city's de- deserted. You know, they've rebuilt, but everybody had evacuated, and they're probably not all back or something. But there's this character, and this is another of these weird Easter eggs. It's, he's a photographer. Uh, he's going to get the, you know, the pictures of all of this. And um, he's late for Professor Parker's photography course, <laughs> which seems to be a Spider-Man joke. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny. It's a nice little wink, wink there. I mean, in the end, it's just a punch up. You know, it's like Superman's going to just crunch the blasters so that he can't fire anymore and slam Kenny into the tomb. And that's it for this character for now. Yeah. We can talk about where he goes from here. You might think that they use Zero Hour to create like the noteworthy villain that Superman doesn't have. Like Lex Luthor's made his big play. He's supposed to be dead. You know, who's next, more or less. But then Kenny's story actually ends like seven or eight months later. Really? With his death. Basically, he's then relegated to Clark Kent's high school rival or bully in various media. Like Kenny is in the Man of Steel movie. Uh, He's in the Superman animated series. He's in the New 52 in like flashbacks to the past. But never again as Conduit. He was never in Smallville per se. They never called a character Kenny Braverman or anything, even though there's a lot of, you know, like like you said, there's a lot of similarities with other things that happened. Like this seems to be Conduit's origin, but it's also 
showing Superman's past as well. His, like his birth, then his school, then walking the earth, you know, yeah. that period. And then in Metropolis at first, like when he gets to Metropolis before everything starts to come together for him. That's what we're actually telling. And Conduit doesn't really become a real concern. You know, once his story is played out in various issues in the next seven, eight months, then he's gone. He's, he's, he's dead and gone. So I think maybe, probably they didn't think they wanted to kill him. They, they probably wanted him to be a real, you know, menace for yeah. forever. You're looking for your Bane or your new Doomsday or something that's gonna, people will want to see again, but people just didn't want to see Conduit. First of all, he's got this a stupid 90s yeah. name. He might as well, he might as well be in Youngblood or something. But also it's like, I felt his motivation was a bit one-dimensional. Yeah, and it's, like I was saying, I mean, it's too, it's too obsessive. I mean, it's like being obsessed with shoes and it's difficult to evolve. I mean, you can't evolve something that is so obsessive, obsessive. I mean, it, it can't morph into something else and it's, it doesn't open doors actually It kind of closes them. So yeah, I think conduit was, uh, unfortunately a victim of his poor motivations. And my question kind of remains when he was becoming conduit and he was doing all these missions for the CIA or whatever, then was he not obsessed with Clark? <laughs> like why now? And not all yeah. throughout. So there's a moment where he decides that he wants to kill Clark Kent, but it seems to happen when after the prom and then it yeah. doesn't happen and they meet up and Clark is thinking this is a friend from Smallville and he treats him as a friend and he thinks of him as a friend, like even into like year 33 of his life. He's still thinking of him as that's weird. Like this, this is a friend from, yeah. from back home. What the heck? Like he never really got it. So there, there are moments where Conduit could just go in, kill Clark Kent, and then keep go doing his stuff, but he doesn't, like, throughout these years. So there's, like, a, there's a question of whether that motivation makes sense. I mean, if Conduit's motivation wasn't trying to kill Clark Kent, but was actually trying to beat him like he did in the past. There is a hint of that. You're right, though, that that he's, like, okay, he's going to be a famous journalist, but I'm I'm actually making the news yeah yeah he's just reporting it and i think maybe that was enough for him during those years yeah and then finally it's like no he's, he just has to die because he's too happy and successful <laughs> yeah and 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 that's weird i think the right choice would have been to get conduit to be really stuck in the past maybe even know that superman is clark kent be competitive with superman in an unhealthy way mm -hmm. And it's possible that that's where it's going, where we're not reviewing the next stories that he's in. If I remember correctly, he sort of starts sharing his obsession with for revenge with, okay. with Superman. Like, without knowing necessarily, well, now Superman has to die as well because he's a thorn in my side. Which just makes him like every yeah. other villain yeah. at that point. I guess we can now ask, we haven't, whether you would read the Superman books based on these four zero issues. If this was your introduction to Superman... Is this a, like, four connected series that you would then pick up, I guess, weekly? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think I would be picking up these four books. Um, maybe I'm I'm biased also. I mean, I love yeah, Superman. So. Not a big ask. But, yeah, yeah, I think I would. And I re really did enjoy, even though Conduit was kind of one-dimensional, I really did enjoy this series. I mean, I loved seeing Superman and Lo well, Clark and Lois in their everyday attire and doing just regular stuff. There's a lot of little charming nuggets everywhere in these books. So I, I really did enjoy it. By being a weekly series, even though there are like different creative teams on each book, it is a weekly story with some people doing certain subplots and others not. It just became a very addictive era of Superman for me. Like, obviously, yeah. I read these at the time, obviously, and throughout the, the triangle era, as we call it, because it's also numbered with triangles, so you could follow it from book to book and know in which order. But it was like a weekly experience, and that keeps you more invested than, like, a month later, am I remembering what happened? But every week... Yeah, of course, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm into it. All right, well, we'll take another promo break. When we're back, Letters Lost in Time. Letters Lost in Time? Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able.
about to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Richard, Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and Superman? Letters Lost in Time! Letters Lost in Time! Excerpts from your comments on our coverage of The Spectre and the Demon Numbers Zero, as well as Sandman World's End. Yeah, that was a big, uh, that was a big uh, show. That was a good discussion. And Michael Bailey's uh, story about Sandman <laughs> starts us off. It goes like this. He says, My sister Jane was the reader of the family, and when I started collecting comics, she was more than a little dismissive of my reading choices. Then when I was 14, I visited family for three weeks, and when I returned home, I discovered that Jane had started reading this book called Sandman and was even picking up random books that looked like they were in the same mold. At the time, I was resentful, even though I read her issues and dug them. But now I appreciate what Gaiman did for the medium. I realize now that the reason Jane was attracted to that book was that she was the target audience. Someone that didn't read comics because the superhero genre was so dominant, but was into gothy alternative things. And that's very much the experience, you know, like Sandman brought oh, yeah. in a lot of a lot of people who didn't normally read comics, including apparently the the distribution, uh, like the, the gender uh, distribution on the book was 50-50. Oh. Uh, which is a rare thing. David S. Gutierrez thought the episode was extremely thoughtful. He says, never occurred to me that the Sandman of a given era was a reflection of storytelling for that particular time and place. But he wonders also who posited that the Sandman was tied into zero hour. It seems like a mighty strong stretch. Several sites say it, and if you go to Wikipedia, for example, it's in the discussion stuff. You know, like you go behind. Yeah, yeah. They're people are arguing. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. You know, it's like it. It used to be in on Wikipedia as a paragraph, and it was taken out because it couldn't really be proven. But then let's say we've got Bradley Null who says it is my personal headcanon that the Sandman's end led to zero hour has been since I read the words Reality Storm in The World's End. I don't think DC planned it, but it worked timing-wise for me. It just seemed that that's what would happen if, in a world made of stories if the personification of stories died. So I think that's sort of how it comes about. You know, it's like more of a internet theory. It's at the start of the internet theories. And mm -hmm. uh, as far as internet theories go it's a good one at the very least we got a chance to read some sandman and discuss it lizanne oswald says the specter story makes me question reincarnation if it exists how soon does one get reborn is it the same day or is it a few months or years is it instantaneous so liz the answer depends on the faith or the story and in the dc universe right now hawkman and hawkwoman have various simultaneous reincarnations for example there's like a thanagarian one there's like the golden age one who's in the contemporary era but they're all reincarnations of the same spirits but at the same time anything goes in the dcu is what i'm gonna say as an answer <laughs> uh martin gray talks about names in his comment he says he feels beltane sounds oddly british for an indian character as beltane is the gaelic may day festival in this case, Martin, maybe, first of all, maybe she wasn't her on her first reincarnation. She actually predates that story, and she was just, like, in that body now collecting souls. It also says, as for Jason Blood, Blood isn't that out there a name in the UK. Check Facebook. There are even a few Jason Bloods. Well, now. I'm going to say they all have the same blood-drenched ancestor. So <laughs> the fact that there are many now doesn't mean that origin story for the name isn't true. Jason had a bunch of kids afterwards you know? yeah well he has he had loose morals so he probably had a lot of kids diablo frank left three chapters of his autobiography <laughs> uh one for each of the titles covered here are the cliff notes with the specter he thought it was icky to have the embodiment of the judeo-christian god wrath appropriate world cultures across various incarnations without regard for the inherent offense to conflicting religious principles. Well, that and his looking goofy with that stereotypical Persian mustache, like something out of the oldest, least racially sensitive Looney Tunes. He disliked Grant's demon, but 
uh, Ennis's Demon remains an underappreciated cult title. In an absolute travesty, it didn't make it to 66 issues. Well, we really should get to 666. 66 isn't necessarily the devil's number. As for Sandman, he says, not having read a lot of literary comics to that point, at least none that suited me, my mind was blown by the Sandman. The novelistic approach expanded my view of what comics could be and made me a more serious reader overall. Doll's House, specifically, was a favorite comic story and made me want to read more horror comics. It was a pivot point where I went from wanting to be Chris Claremont when I grew up to being Gaiman. And says, it's ironic because as my commitment to the brand was growing, the foundations were already shaky. In other words, he didn't like the rest of the series as much as the opening salvos. Mm. Paul Hicks looked at those comments and said, I always have to summon a lot of willpower to share my thoughts, so commenting anywhere within close proximity to Frank can be uncomfortable. Frank is constantly in need of an opinion exorcist, but he's not wrong about the Ennis McRae demon run being an overlooked gem. He also says it seems that uh, I'm in the minority of listeners who read the whole Ostrander Mandrake Spectre run, and I think it's terrific. AIDS was a recurring thing in the series, so that may be why it was included here. Okay, fair enough. And finally, we have Captain Entropy, who I had a bit of back and forth with on uh, fireandwaterpodcast.com about the nature of free will and whether angels and the specter have it. You can check that out on the site. And on that note, we have to mention that the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page. So if you like our content, please think about making a one-time or monthly donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards, like getting on the zero list at patreon.com slash fwpodcast, just like these folks did. They got on the zero list. That means they are the only ones who are going to escape the cataclysmic time wave that's coming from both ends of history. Jim Bal has been saved from the Amazons who just decided to move to an island. David Capoon has been saved from Slaughter Swamp, and it's just Tuesday. Michael Bailey has been saved from a tomorrow full of planeteers, and Diablo Frank has been saved from Silver City. Because he's no angel. A reminder that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow Fire and Water's Facebook page. And on Twitter, the account is FWPodcast. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes, Steel, Superboy, The Ray, and Green Arrow. <laughs>